0: Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest is Leah Schreiber, who uh, is one of my favorite actors, uh, one of the best actors working, a filmmaker, a director, a writer, uh, also of high, a uh, highest order. And, um, somebody who we've both been working so much, so we haven't gotten to do it that much, but somebody who, whenever I get to have dinner with him, I just have the best time and, and uh, really am excited to get to have this conversation uh, with, with microphones so everyone can hear uh, the version of you that, that people who know you and think the world of you, uh, you know, get to see, man. So I'm glad to do this. Thank you. So, uh, liev and and people you know Lev from ray donovan and a million movies uh you know who he is uh here's where i want to start can you, i've had a few friends you know i grew up on long island you and i are the same age i grew up on long island coming to the city for me was not just magical but it was like going from the minor leagues to the major leagues like when i would come in at 12 years old i couldn't believe the way that new york city kids got to like live and move around the city uh and I've had like guys like Dante Ross and Vin Diesel describe like the Westbeth adjacent kind of artsy New York that you all grew up in, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think folks don't really know about it. Could you just talk about what it looked like through a kid's eyes, like an artistic kid's eyes, the New York that 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 you moved to and grew up in from when you were three or four years old on?
1: My my, exp- I mean, I guess the formative experience for me was probably growing up. On the Lower East Side with my mother, um, who was a kind of bohemian type, free spirit sort of hippie person. Um, she was into squats, and we lived on a we lived in a, uh, in a in an apartment. The first one was on a First and First, and at that time, you know, New York still had its ghettos, its camps, its gangs. And this is I'm talking about like the mid-70s, early 70s. And uh, if you were on First Street and First Avenue, when you looked a block south, you had uh, Orchard Street Market in the Orthodox Jewish community. If you looked a block east, it was almost entirely Puerto Rican and Dominican all the way to the river. If you looked one block north, it was Ukrainian and Polish, all the bakeries and the laundromats. And yeah. if you went two blocks west, it was the Bowery and all of the homeless shelters. So it, that kind of being exposed that young to that much diversity and, and that much, you know, squalor <laughs> yeah. was, I think, useful to me, um, just in terms of
0: the voices in my head and where they came from. Well, yeah, that's what I'm so interested in. Like when, when you would walk around and and you were free uh, um to by yourself or if you made a friend, like you were free to explore my mom uh, wasn't
1: and- into school. So like for the first seven or eight years of my life, I was on the street sun up till sundown. Which you think about now, and it's like who would let their kids out on the street, especially those streets at that time what was going on in new york city um it's just it's just, a, just a different way of thinking and it's a different way of raising kids
0: yeah i remember i mean i do really remember a little older than that coming in and, and and the kind of freedom that friends of mine had i mean look in long island you get your bicycle and you go but it was it's different than than walking around the lower east side and drifting into chinatown yeah. when you're 11 years old uh we what kind of conversation was going on in 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 your head then meaning were you I know you like to draw and stuff and paint were you cataloging this stuff in in some way were you journaling were you so. having yeah what do you think I think so I think I
1: you know I think at that time probably still now I I I I, I fit the definition of a classic megalomaniac I'm, My my mother was uh, a cab driver, so and it was illegal to have the the kid in the cab. So sometimes she would do it when we would pass the inspectors at JFK or something like that. I would hide under the dashboard. But most of the time I just sat. I was in the house by myself. And, you know, that's that does weird things to someone's brain.
0: Yeah, of course. I
1: remember seeing, you know, that movie Westworld.
0: The original, of yeah, course. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. Right. Right. Of yeah. Course. So of course. A successful TV show. um, But the, the, uh, there's this scene where, you know, Yul Brenner's face place gets blown off or something and you see all the circuitry. And I think I sat, I think that really captured my imagination. And for, for, for quite a few years of my, of my childhood, I had this deep paranoid sense that, Maybe I was the only human being, and that there was circuitry behind everyone's face, and a, and a real I guess it was a kind of isolation I felt, or a sort of alienation that I felt that really caused me to look hard at things and people and try to figure out where I fit. Um, so I'm, I'm, very, I'm actually kind of grateful to my mother from that peer for that. For that period well
0: that's time. a very primal i mean i think that's a pretty primal notion right that the idea of are we connected or am i separate and am i completely isolated and in fact am i the only thing is the rest of this you know stage for me i mean i think that's why the simulation idea comes back all the time and people like are so compelled by it mm-hmm. because i think everybody has to some extent but you I've
1: learned that. Yeah. That, that everybody has that same consciousness. Everybody has that, or at least I think everybody has that same isolated sense of consciousness. Um, And that when you, you know, it's like, uh, it's one of the fun things about Shakespeare when you're, when you're doing soliloquy, you're actually kind of appealing to that part of the audience, the individual. I mean, if you try to do it as a group, it rarely works, but if you, if you, if you lock into that one person who's going, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life and actually talk to them as talk to their, talk to their isolated, alienated
0: consciousness, you do a lot better. So that's a conscious thing. You know, I've seen you um, before I knew you, I saw you on stage a lot and, um, and maybe once or twice since, since you and I got to know each other a bit. And I do think uh, it's a remarkable thing you do on, on stage it's funny on the microphone like this. I feel much more comfortable complimenting you than I would at dinner. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, but it is no, no doubt less true. Like I remember seeing talk radio and Glenn Gary, by the way, I think mustache works really well for you on stage. You really, you really worked the mustache well, but, uh, cause I think talk radio, you had it too, right? No, and Glenn Gary, no, no, no only for Glenn Gary. Yeah. Talk radio uh, is the beginning of not shaving. Yeah. Uh, Oh, you you didn't have a mustache on Talk Radio. No, but no. Uh, but I remember seeing Talk Radio Liev. and um, mm. there was this incredible quality to that performance—an incredible kind of an openness—and e- even though that character Barry is such, uh, I mean, talking about a guy who hears his own voices and is trying desperately to get to the truest place to be heard. Uh, i felt this incredible desire and ability to to connect with this whole audience in that performance and i wonder if that has to do with this notion that you're you're you are consciously engaging in some way with the audience as opposed to only existing on the proscenium i i think that's everything
1: for me i think that's that's everything is is trying to feel connected, trying to, ty, you know, trying um, when I get lost, um, I, you know, like right
0: now, it's, <laughs>
1: it's really just taking a minute to kind of check in and go what, what, what piece of this feels connected to something real in you. And, and, and I guess ever since I was a little kid, that sort of deep, Desire to feel connected to all of those people that I didn't feel to to feel connected to strangers was a very odd thing, but I guess everybody felt a little strange to me. And and that theater or acting and and writing and any kind of creative endeavor for me was was about trying out resonances and seeing if they worked, um, seeing if I felt more comfortable or if they felt more comfortable. And I think yes. in In the theater, and particularly what's so wonderful about Bogosian and what he created with that character is is a guy who seems like a real asshole um, and seems like a real tough cookie, but there is this desperate need to connect with all of those people in the dark. And there's something about them being in the dark that makes them even more compelling, which I think is powerful for me about the theater. And, and movies and TV, for that matter, I guess, like, you know, um, it's a funny thing about television. Like, you, you probably know this a lot better than I do. But, you know, in the theater, at least there's this, there's this idea of an audience. But there's nothing in television. You don't even know they're there until they tell you that they are, until something happens and they, and they, they start to talk. And now, of course, there's social media and there's podcasts and things like this. And I didn't know they were there for Ray Donovan. And uh, when we got canceled, that reaction just knocked me out. Like the way that they reacted, just I couldn't believe the, the response.
0: Um, it was an amazing feeling because it, it touched that thing in me that wants to do that. Wait, I, you, you, I thought you were going to say the whole first season you didn't know. But, but
1: you mean? You know they're there because people give you numbers and they tell you things. You know, there's business
0: stuff. That's but like, when you walk oh, down the street, people are like, I've, well, I mean, I've seen it. Like when you and I were, went to Chappelle and we were standing outside and people were like, Ray Donovan! But does yeah, that but not penetrate so, for some reason?
1: There, there's something ephemeral about that. There's something, you know, well, here, it's like when you're, you know, when you're performing in the, in the theater, in the moment, at its best, you can feel what's happening you can feel oh. currency between you and the audience and um in in the movies i guess sometimes you'll go to a premiere and you'll feel their reaction to the movie but you don't feel that connection to them you feel their appreciation of you or they like the way you look or they like the way you acted or something like that that's all after the fact and that that that's more about you know something in my opinion it's a little more superficial Whereas when you're resonating with them on stage, um, it's not really you they res- You're, you're doing the thing that the playwright wants you to do. And that's resonating with them. And you feel that, and that resonates with you. And you're like a medium. You're like it, a medium almost At at its best. Right. It's something like that. And, and then, when, when you feel them emotionally invested in something, as I'm sure you have when you talk, and I probably that's why you like to talk to the people who watch your show so much. I was thinking about that the other day. But when you talk to those people and you realize that some of them are really profoundly affected by what you do in, in like big ways, and it's not what you do, it's what the work did, that's, uh, that's really remarkable. And I think for me, that was the experience of them not wanting us to get canceled was that they had become so emotionally attached to these characters and these ideas that it meant something to them, that they had become connected to them.
0: Yeah, I understand every word you're saying. And it's, it's, it's weird because you can't, in the doing, you can't shift uh based on what you think they might want you have to be so true to it but that thing has to resonate and that's the disciplined part because you can't yeah. the moment you think you can pander you lose the whole compact with them right totally, totally yeah it's Just say
1: yeah I mean the same thing in theater it's just trickier in TV because you've got you're not getting any energy back and you have to figure out where to you have to figure out where to where to get that you know what i mean
0: but yeah you kind of hear it though benioff david benioff said something really smart to me between seasons one and two um a billions he was like you'll know now when you go to write how a line is going to land and i remember we were at dinner between the seasons and i i was like i don't know that that's true because of what you're saying Liev. but then when i started to write and be on set making it i was like yeah fucking benny first of all i should use just a rule in general is never doubt david benioff but also <laughs> he just don't, i mean he's right pretty much all the time but he was right um about it you can feel it but what, what you said a second ago prompted a thought in me a really high compliment i've heard actors sometimes they say it about kevin corrigan for instance i've had a lot of people say to me Kevin Corgan, when you're on set with him, the guy cannot say a false word. He he will go, he has to make sure, even if it takes him a long time and he's slow, that it's true to him. And I, in thinking about what, what, what you're talking about, and in knowing something of the way you've described your process to me, I I wonder if part of why you go so hard at the thing is in just you need to find the truest expression of these moments somehow for the way that it's going to then connect.
1: Yeah. I, I, you know, I doubt it's very different from your process, like finding a line. It's like, that just doesn't sound right yet. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not evocative in the way that I want it to be evocative. Um, and sometimes, in fact, most of the time, it's not the line. It's that I haven't found the delivery or i haven't found the character or the behavior yet that clicks me into something because sometimes it, you know all that stuff has in reality for me so little to do with logic
0: <laughs> or yes any kind of yes some sense yes it's just
1: like you know um yeah you know what i mean it just it's, it's so much you know like the way they teach it the way they teach acting it you know uh I mean, the best shot at technique I think that people have in this country is that idea about playing action, right? Where you, you're trying to move somebody else, not yourself. But for me, that doesn't include this, this whole other thing that is about impulse and who you are and what's happening to you in the moment, which is full on Kevin Corrigan, you know, because the reason that Kevin is so, well, first of all, he's so Kevin, he's so that guy from the Bronx, who is never going to stop being that guy. And he's going to fill every moment with every atom of, of himself. And it's just undeniably real. Um, That's a certain kind of acting that for me, like has nothing to do with sense or story or narrative. It's just about being real in the moment, which is like the most photogenic thing you can do, in my opinion, is just be real. You scared? Fuck, I'm scared. Okay. That's the energy that's going to go into this with. I remember when I started, when I first got out of graduate school, I got my first couple of gigs, you know, doing classical theater in New York. I had terrible, terrible, terrible stage fright. And I remembered this story that, uh, my father told me, I didn't really know my father. I didn't, I didn't live with him. And, um, uh, and I, I met him when I was about 16 or 17 and he, he came to visit me and I was, and he, he brought a bottle of Irish whiskey and, and I just thought that was so cool. Here was my, you know, as I'd grown up thinking I was a Jewish kid from the Lower East Side and here's this really big, handsome, white, waspy Irish guy with a bottle of whiskey. And I was just like, this is fucking great. And we started drinking. And I'm drunk <laughs> yeah. with my old man, you know, and I, and, and, he's just like, when he just likes to cry and he talks and he's all this stuff. It's fantastic. I'm really bonding with him. And he tells me this tremendous story about the, the, the origin of, of spirits, the word spirits. And the idea was that if you, and when you take a drink of spirits, um, the, the thought in the old time was that, that the spirit of that bottle possessed you, and that's what made you drunk. So the drinking was like an act of possession. And so I started doing this thing that really worked well for me. until, until the the whiskey got too strong. I had to switch to wine Um, because uh, anyways, but I, I I would do this thing where I would, I would toast my grandfather who had just died after I got out of graduate school uh, and I would drink a shot of Irish whiskey. And I would imagine as the whiskey was going into me as part of my warm up, you know, (laughs) I would. Before you would take the stage, before before you would take the stage. And I would imagine the possession of the bottle, the possession of the spirit, Filling me with the character, and filling me with the and actually, you know, the first time um, I start, I started doing that uh, at, at, on, um, yeah. at at the Delacorte. But when I really started to do it regularly was Glengarry, and I would get fill myself. I could feel myself filling up with Roma, you know, and and that the kind of ferocity that comes from being a little drunk and a little buzzed and the fearlessness, and that was my way of getting over stage fright. I had to switch to red wine because I started, you know, I started getting too buzz from the. But
0: chairs. you can't have three whiskeys before you walk on stage. <laughs> that's like as as you get into your, as you get into your forties, man, that's not going to work yeah. anymore. Yeah. But that was the that was the
1: like turning off my inhibitions, turning off my sensors, turning off my logical mind. Because I think one of the things that people that people that drives people crazy about me is, is that I overthink it. You know, I'm like a, I'm like a, a terrier with a tennis ball. I'm like, I'll work it and work it and work it. And sometimes you just got to let go and do it. And, and so th- that for me was my way of turning off the narrative, turning off the logic, turning off the thinking and letting that kind of impulsive side of you take over.
0: Yeah, of course, you know, uh, in the talisman, Stephen King has the character at first in order to get to the other side, has to take a drink or something. And then they realize, in fact, you don't. In fact, you don't need to take that drink. You, and that. But what you have to do is have some ritual, some conscious way to to shift over. I mean, I it's, it's no different from than what I morning pages and meditation and a walk. What the, the shit that I need to do to tip my brain over is just like taking a drink. Uh, but it's a lot of people do music too. Yes. a lot of actors I, yeah, and writers. I, But I was gonna ask you this, I had written this down to ask you later, but because of what you just brought up, you know, I was thinking a lot about the way you do what you do, and I'm, I'm not casually saying it. I mean, I really do think you're one of the finest actors in the world, Liev, and, and, and I just, I love watching you, man. And, and uh, but I think about the, well, I, I think about, and especially as you become more and more comfortable in your own skin, you know, I love RKO 281 is a huge movie. I love that movie, and uh, uh, where you play Wells one one watches that movie one can see a young man who's still figuring the comfortable in their own skin thing out. i was out. terrified yeah i was you terrified see, you're great in the movie but it works Thank for the wells but it's but you can see it right and then i look at something like marty baron and i'm looking at somebody who's completely comfortable in his own skin and and but well here's what i wanted to ask you because it's this is a question about the intellect versus the spirit Just think about the way Marty Baron chooses, and he's your size when you play him, he's 6'4 and a big dude, but Marty Baron never uses his physicality to influence the direction of a scene. Uh, He never uses his physicality to get somebody to do his bidding for him. Uh, And uh, he's using something else. He's using his charm and his brain and his sense of wit and his understanding of human nature and all that stuff uh, to move people. And I guess what I'm curious about is how much of that is stuff you pencil in as you're reading a script and how much of that just shows up when you're in the wardrobe and you're sitting behind Marty Baron's desk and you've got his facial hair and it's like, oh yeah, this is a guy who uses his words. Like, how does that happen for you? Uh, uh, The choice about the way a guy moves through the physical space.
1: Um, I think the way that you just described it is something that the writer provides to me that that's that's the construct of the scene is we're going to see gentle power Um, We're that's 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 a writer's idea. And I think that's something that that as an actor, you when you're looking for writing, you're looking for writers who are able to write that way. If I took credit for that, I'd, I'd be full of shit. Um, that's something that uh, you mean. That's Tom, uh, Tom
0: and Josh. Tom and that's Josh. Tom
1: and Josh, and, and and well, it's Marty, but it's something that Tom and Josh saw fit to bring to the the story. Um, uh, you know, it, they wrote the scene. I think the scene that, that probably uh, articulates that the best is the one that's something like, "Well, um, have you thought about this?" And, and and would you think about it if I asked you to something like that? Something submissive, yeah. something slightly passive aggressive. Yeah. Would they
0: put the spotlight team on this? Would they do it in that way? Could they? Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. One hundred percent. That's that's theirs, um, and that's Marty's. Um, for me, the 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 thing that is that is that is mine, which is not actually mine, but it's also Marty's. Is is how does it feel? to behave that way. Um, And that, uh, you know, and that actually gets combined with a bunch of other things, you know, (laughs) like, how does it feel to be, to be filmed? Um, How does it feel to be looking across the room at John Slattery, who's my friend and I haven't worked with in years and I'm looking at his face and and thinking about betrayal and 30 years ago and all this other shit, all of those feelings happen in that moment. And what, what, what do you grab onto and what do you run with? And um, for me, it was also about, you know, taking an Amtrak down and spending a day with Marty and, and who he was and how he did it. But the less I, I, to tell you the truth, I what I'm saying by saying all of these different things is I just have no idea. There's just, I, I'm responding to all of the stuff. So the more I uh, maybe the more stuff I put in before that moment of being on camera, the better off I am. Like I, I do believe that. I, I, I believe in like a musician's approach to things, like scales, 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 scale, scales, scales, scales. And then anything can happen. And, and then
0: you gotta blow. But then you gotta just blow.
1: I owe so much to Ray Donovan, I gotta tell you, because like and I knew this going in because I didn't want to do a fucking television show. I was like, yeah. oh God, I, I'm going to come out of that. I'm going to be Ray Donovan for the rest of my life. And they're like, but you're going to be rich. And I am like, so oh, what? I don't need. And that was like antithetical to what I wanted to do. But we had kids. Nay wanted to live in LA. I needed to have a base. But in retrospect, I learned so much working on that show. Just the repetition of the job doing it over and over and over and over again lends you a kind of confidence that you, you you can't get anywhere else. It's like, um, I mean, you know this, it's like everyday production. It's how how, how on earth do they do it? And then you do it for a couple of years and you go, oh, you just do it.
0: Yeah, you but just do
1: it. You know, there's a familiarity with it. And you can try things. You know, when when you're a lead on the show or a head writer, Or a producer, you're allowed to. They give you this incredible outfit of of insanely talented people and incredibly expensive shit, and they say, "Knock yourself out." Hell yeah, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to try because you get to do it every day, over and over and over again. And I I tell you, by the time I had like been through five years of that, I felt a kind of confidence about being around the camera. I felt a shorthand with talking to other actors and writers. I felt uh, an availability to directors that it wasn't there before. Like I used to have a real, I used to be really paranoid about directors. And now I understood from seeing a lot of them work day to day, what they were trying to do. It was clearer to me. Um, Yeah. So I, I, but but,
0: but I'm sure that it was more clear and that you, able to make yourself more available in those ways but i also think being one on the call sheet of a show like that that's named after you comes as you've described it to me too comes with some burden for for making the thing good meaning by your own stand i wonder like oh. <laughs> about the torture <laughs> i've always that. had that
1: though no no i've always had that i mean i don't know i i i, I think that's more about. Maybe being Jewish than anything, but I, I've always had that problem. Like everything I do is crap, and uh, and I've got to wrestle it. That's the terrier. That's the. Uh, I start from. I start with deconstruction. I start with it's no good. I start there. <laughs> and do you
0: tell that to there. your collaborators ahead of time?
1: Sometimes when I'm really insecure and a pain in the ass, yeah. My, you I you go. Say, it, look- doesn't, it doesn't work. I don't. I'm. I, I. You know. I try not to blame, but it just doesn't work it's not it's not working I don't know well, what is it
0: what are we trying to do what are we what do you want to say what are we what are we sometimes though as yeah, as we get older though like our pathology I find this like I, I I uh I've started to try to say to myself now like I know the way through because I've just run this gauntlet so many times mm-hmm. yes the first draft sucks yeah this, this this God I I can't write the scene to save my Fucking life, I, I, you know all that stuff, right? But that's then experience,
1: though, man, that's like you. That's people like right? people look at you and they go, "How come I can't write?" A hitch? That just that's experience, man. That that takes such that takes doing it over and over and over again to realize the first draft is going to suck.
0: It's not just the first draft is going to suck. It's being okay with the first draft sucking. That's the and hard being part. able to and then being able to recognize like, okay, that part's good actually. Yes. don't fucking go crazy. No, that right. part. Isn't there yet? Uh, but uh, uh, but it's process. as an actor, it is a process. But as an actor, as an actor who's as smart as you are, uh, the 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 torture of trying to make it great. I I would sometimes like look at you, you know, catch you in the middle of a day if we walked past each other, you came over and I would be like, "Can't he just be a little easier on himself?" <laughs> can't he know that like uh he can just say the words and walk across the room and it's gonna be okay
1: I think I learned that I think I've learned that but it's just not who I am I mean I think I've learned to do that I'm just not that guy I'm not the easy you know peasy it's not me I just I I wrestle I wrestle I struggle and I and I I want it's important to me nothing's more important to me than doing my best it's like it's blood sport. It's like, you know, they'll love you when it's good. They'll love you when it's successful. Like I, I, I now I've learned to be nicer and better and more patient with myself and others. But my feeling was always like, let's just make something really great. If we make something really great, everyone's going to,
0: Everyone's gonna How does finish. that work when you're in a piece that's an auteur's piece? If you go work with a Wes Anderson or a Tom McCarthy or uh earlier in your career, you know, you go do uh uh walking and talking and you're with Nicole Holofcener, you know, and, and a, a real auteur, and you're a piece of a uh of an ensemble. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, I've never read about that production. I love that movie. I've watched that movie many times. I think Nicole's Wait, which a genius. Movie? Like walking and talking, let's walking say. Walking and talking,
1: right, right. Well, I, that, no, I always was a supporting actor. That's like what I know, supporting character, in fact, is what I know, it's what I feel most intimately close to. You know, the, the that I I, I, I was always good at seeing the whole and recognizing where I fit in. Where I got into trouble was when I realized that I was the perspective. That was hard for me, really hard for me. And Ray and, and, and working with, with Anne and David and all of those extraordinary actors was a real lesson in how to do that, which is to let the audience take over, let, let them just see and to see and to experience. And for me, just losing dialogue was really a useful tool. Just strip it away, strip it away, strip it away, strip it away
0: and what's there. Um, yeah, uh, even though you have so much verbal acuity as an actor, so like when you do something like walking and talking and you're a supporting player and it's a you're a part of this patchwork thing, are you able to in that thing turn off the part of you that's a dramaturg and that's a truth seeker more globally and 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 just be a part of the company? Or I don't think I was back then,
1: <laughs> but
0: I uh, you know I had a really 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 interesting
1: experience. On um, I just finished doing a film with uh, Wes Anderson in, in Spain, and 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 um, it I I love Wes's work. Me too. um, Love it. Love it. Yeah, really love it. And um, there was like, we were working on these scenes and we're doing them over and over again. Some of the actors were getting a little uncomfortable because Wes was so specific, so specific about timing and character, which most actors feel belongs to them. But I had this kind of epiphany um, about Wes's stuff for myself. It's probably wrong. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but I'm going to which is that he's been working his way towards, you know, people, the, 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 what the actors are complaining about is, is feeling like puppets, but with his career and his work, it feels to me like he's working his way towards live puppetry for a very long time. And that, and that real human animation. And so, you know, he went on this trip where he went and he actually did animation and then he came back to live action. And now he's kind of pushing the live action towards animation, which is fascinating, really fascinating. Um, He does these whole, uh, I forget what they're called, animatics. He does a a whole animatic of the movie before anyone even starts working or acting. And the thing is, i mean could win awards at film festivals it's an amazing right. it's an amazing right. piece of work and he really does want you to to do what he did he wants you to do exactly what he did
0: he wants you to speak in that rhythm and move in that rhythm
1: that's right and i think what that what that does for actors is it 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 challenges their creativity and i think what certain for sure what it does is it challenges their ego but what i figured out about it for me uh, is that it feels really good to be a part of something?
0: It yes, that's really, what I was asking.
1: It feels really good to get on the beat. It's like it's like playing music. It feels really good when you're in the groove, and to be a part of something that's compelling and engaging and interesting, your stuff's gonna come out. That's just part of that's part of being human. Your work's gonna come out. It doesn't matter, and in fact, for me, and I think this is why I liked Shakespeare so much when I was, you know, studying in school and just you know, the first fifteen years of my career, was because I liked the form, I liked the boundaries, you know, I liked the, that that I liked how structured it was, so that anything, so that there were there were rules. Verse has rules. It has it has rhythms. It has it has form. It has a frame. And without a frame you can't go outside of it you know what i mean and that's that that, that for me was a fun thing about wes's movie
0: that makes complete sense And you know the cone brothers do that book they don't do anime matrix but uh, but they have the book that's every single scene yeah. and uh and i've talked to actors who find it something i can see why it's constraining but i can also see how it's freeing because yeah. the, they're the lead singer and songwriter and you're the rhythm section, making the thing happen. Mm-hmm. So you have to just lock in and do that thing in a way, uh, yeah. which I could see how it's actually could be wonderful to, to, to yeah. do that.
1: If but- you let go of that resistance, because there's always resistance, right? If you can let go of that resistance, something else happens that's extraordinary. Like I, it's so much easier to not have to have the answer. He's got the answer. And it's when you don't have the answer that suddenly all the answers come flying up you know, all that's the fantastic. Oh, that's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I
1: but you get, it's hard I mean, to they, find someone like that.
0: You know, it's like,
1: there's a lot of people who think they can think they're doing that when you, you know, so,
0: well, Wes has the body of Wes work. Is, like he yeah. has the body of work where it's like, look, you're signing up for this. So yeah. sign up for this, or don't sign up for this thing. That right. makes sense to me. I mean, Mamet obviously like, you know, you, I would think that there's something. Now I know Mamet didn't direct your Glengarry, right? No,
1: Joe Mantegna. So you had,
0: so you had, right? Who directed it? But had uh, you had some freedom within mm-hmm. that?
1: But I think that. it's. I feel the same way about Mamet as I do about Shakespeare and Pinter. It's like there's a formality to it as a structure.
0: And Me I think too. I'm Mamet's totally my gone to those
1: writers. Yeah,
0: he's my top. I mean, that's you right. know, I, I I'm not crazy about where the politics have gone, but he's those you know up until a certain point nobody. Nobody did better of our, since we've been walking around, really, yeah. than that guy did. What did you get out of writing, the co-writing the Ray Donovan movie? What, what was your thought process going into really being that? I know you'd been in the writer's room a bunch and you directed a bunch of Ray Donovan, but and driven a bunch of the story in the second half of that series life but what was the decision like okay I'm actually gonna really take this on in this way what was that thought process um I felt uh honored and
1: flattered that uh David asked me we had worked on an episode uh the season earlier and and uh, he enjoyed that process and um, and I also felt like it, I felt, I, I, you know, so much, it's such a f- profound experience of being canceled and then having the audience rally around us. And I felt incredible gratitude and it's not something you just say it's, it's something that's very private, yeah. but I felt a real gratitude and and the sudden awareness of this huge group of people that that were appreciating and following what we were doing and i felt like i wanted to be in on it i wanted to i wanted to be a part of that i i i wanted to be responsible for how we responded to them um i also really loved the actors who were playing us as young people and yes. i wanted to I wanted to write myself out of it. A to give myself a break, and B to show everybody else how fantastic they were. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to touch on all of the, the conversations that that had built the show, all the private stuff that went into it, all of the little backstory and details that that we had thought about, and 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 I thought that that would be fun for, for an audience to have that experience so in many ways it really was directed towards the hardcore fans the one who'd been who'd been with us from you know episode one and knew all these little easter eggs and details about the characters um i just wanted to be a part of it it was a challenge also to me i think it scared me and i think i respond to fear in, in 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 that kind of slightly irrational okay let's go away
0: let's do it yeah let's do it and when you finally were done Does it, now that that you were able to get, hey, we're ending this and and it's not just being yanked from us, but we're actually ending it. Did it give you a sense of, okay, now I'm ready to move forward and find different, play different things and do different things sort of fully, were you able to leave Ray behind now? Uh, Yeah, I've had a hell of a time with
1: this show. I've had a hell of a time with this character. My father passed away last year, Sorry. right after, right before we uh, started shooting Ray and, you know, to do something like this for eight years of your life it's it's complicated, you know, you, you know what it's like for actors. They, they're gypsies and they, you know, they, they develop these incredibly close bonds that last three months and then they go away. And they do it again and then they do it again and then they do it again and then you get a job like this um like yours or mine where you're living with the same people for almost a decade and you're getting to rely on them you're getting to feel deeply connected to them you're getting to depend on them and not just them but the characters that you create in my particular case a guy was deeply hurt and traumatized, and is really wrestling with um, uh, loneliness um, in in a lot of respects, but also violence and uh, trauma. And you know, I never, i I've never been, I'm not a method person. I'm I'm a, I'm as technical as the next guy, but but I do rely on impulse. To work, you know, I I rely on you know these heavy emotional scenes. You got to get it from somewhere that you don't understand. So what you end up doing is you end up ratcheting up tension, and then not expressing it. That's the character, right? And doing that for eight years is fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're you're absolutely right what you said earlier about finding your transition. And, you know, for me, when I started with stage fright, it was about a a sip of wine before a thing and a a visualization. But, you know, meditation is a great way to do it, to, to just find a way to transition in. And then at the end of the day, find a way to transition out. Because you're asking your body to reproduce all of these feelings, which depend on stress hormones and things like that every day for eight years. That's a big part of it. The feeling of belonging, the feeling of being in a family, that's a big part of it. And then I think the capper for me was when my father died. And here we were working on this thing about the sins of the father. Of course, yeah. So I'm taking my time. <laughs> I'm taking my time and I don't know that I'm done. I, I mean, I keep wanting desperately to be done with Ray, but there, there are so, so many bits and pieces of it that are still resonating in my life. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm
0: sure that all those residencies you were able to grab onto. And also, it gave you it gave you um, an acceptable field in which to express and process and That's deal right. with that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That's it was right. built. I mean, it was built for it in a way totally. the, because Haldor, this thing that happens do it, yeah. right? I'm saying, you know, it's built for it because of those things. I mean, it, I can't believe you've gotten to work with that guy for so long. He's one of my absolute heroes and I know it's unlikely I'll ever get to work with him. I mean, I saw it, like I said, I saw Glenn Gary. So like I know how long you guys have had this relationship. It must've been a dream to get him to come on the show in this intimate way with you.
1: Well, I am so grateful that he, that he agreed to do it. Um, yeah, he's just a, uh, he's just a really special person, you know, and you, you hang out I we, we, was so distracting because we would get in these terrific conversations and they'd be like they'd call us to set and we'd both be like you know what you're saying i have no fucking idea what i'm saying i'm okay because i don't really say anything but you're gonna have to say some stuff
0: (laughs) (laughs) i i i asked him i asked giamatti i texted him and i said you know what is the what is the thing that you remember, because you and Paul and Tom were at Yale Drama together, right? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Is that right? Yes, I was. And so Paul Paul says hi. But also I said to him, I said, uh, was it clear that Liev was the real thing when you guys were at Yale Drama? And 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 he said, And I think it's everything we're talking about, actually. He said there's this little moment, You were in a, the first time he ever saw you at Yale Rep, you were a third year student at a small part, Christopher Marlowe play, and he comes in with a message and gets stabbed. And he says, I'm not kidding when I say he was amazing when he got stabbed, seriously. Uh, it was a kind of physically brilliant moment, shocking and weird and original in a tiny role. And I thought to myself, that guy is brilliant. And, and Paul, I don't know if I'm sure you do know this. And he said, I've never forgotten it. It was a whole character there and a whole story in seconds. And, you know, Paul's an incredibly generous of spirit human being, but he is not. He will not fucking compliment somebody if they don't. You know, he will not say something good about an actor if he doesn't mean it. Uh, at the time back then, do you remember what he's talking? Do you know what he's talking about? I don't think so. I,
1: you know, it it it, 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 it it's probably uh, the murderer from Richard the Third, but I'm not sure the messenger from Richard the Third. Yeah,
0: sure, I don't, that's what it well, must have been. He said we're.
1: That sounds like it might have been that. I have no idea, but I I remember. Yeah, what do I you I remember? remember him and i remember i don't remember you know tom i remembered i thought I, tom i tom i was like he looks like paul newman fuck him you know like i was so jealous i didn't
0: like everybody him. talks about the yeah. tom here everyone talks about the tom was going to be the movie star he looked like yeah, a i thought he was gonna be a
1: huge movie star and i was like i was i was already defending myself from that and and uh, i didn't know
0: his depth i didn't get to know him and of course he becomes I just so people that's tom mccarthy who yeah. Academy Award winning screenwriter and director. Yeah. He was just too
1: good looking. And and I was I was just suspicious of good looking people that, that were that good looking. And Paul um, was, uh, you know, the best thing about Yale was the other actors. The yeah. best thing about Yale were the directors, the writers. The best thing about Yale for me was the people that you got to spend your three years with. There was something. So, um, um, what's the word? There was something so uh, nuclear about Paul. Um, it's not it, there was an an inner rage and an inner tempo that was just unbelievable. And i hated Chekhov. i just hated it i just did it was just the lines were so corny to me and i i could never do it i was just terrible at it really i yeah, love
0: Chekhov. yeah I,
1: I know and i and and um and paul was the only person who made me want to do it i saw Paul. Oh, that's doing, great i saw paul doing a scene from ivanov and uh just what came out of him? I first I couldn't believe he wasn't Jewish. First of all, and then, and, um, because, I mean, he
0: certainly played a lot. Of, he's played oh a lot God. of Jews.
1: The level of neurosis <laughs> that's functioning in that guy, but the inner tempo, and that thing that I recognize, and I think I probably learned this from Paul, and another another actor there who I really love named Michael Potts, was your inner your inner tempo matters, and 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 even if you don't think it fits the character, you. You, you can't even knock at the door of a character without being present in your own inner tempo. It has to be there, your inner, te- especially on film. And um, that's the thing that I, that I learned from Paul that, that he had such a, such a fire in the belly and it was always cooking. Fascinating. And he just, he got, it was about controlling his release of it.
0: And uh, yeah. Oh, that's a brilliant. Can I just say for anyone listening to this as an artist, of any stripe. What Lev just said, we, dude, what you just said, because yeah, that's voice. That's when I try to explain to people in writing and film, the, the voice, your voice is connected to the tempo at which you think yeah. and move. And it's uh, recognizing that. That's part of what makes, David Mamet has an inner tempo that comes out in the writing. So does Wes. Incredible one, yeah. S- So do the Cone brothers. So do you as an actor. It it is a a fascinating thing that you just pointed out that I've never thought of in those words before, Liev. Uh, Learning to recognize the metronome that's your own and not running from it, but finding a way to use it, right, is what you're saying, right?
1: It's part of why Paul plays so many intelligent characters, because the inner tempo is incredibly fast and you can see it intellectually it's insanely fast so much so that it it's a danger of you think it's a danger of exploding or or falling apart the wheels coming off it's moving like you
0: he's a brilliant i mean he's a very high iq very very high iq person paul so yeah he's and and he's allowing it to happen he's a a, and he controls it but that that thing is that's him
1: is that that inner tempo defines him but it also defines every character he plays in an in an interesting way.
0: It's so interesting when an actor finds that though for themselves and locks into it and then their career moves yeah, and right. takes off. <laughs> when you, right? When you find yeah, yeah. what that is in a yeah. real way. Well, I was, so I was watching RKO and I yeah. uh, you know you're you're acting with masters in those scenes. Uh you, know, you got cromwell and you have malkovich and i was watching i watched a few times last night the scene because the choice is the two of you made uh you know when when you push him in the water and then he's playing the scene from the water with you and you say take my hand and it seemed to me like like you guys had to have an incredible amount of trust for each other and for the filmmaker and for the whole thing to make the choice to play that heavy moment you know there's you guys could have got at each other and you're both actors who tap into rage so easily and yet you kept the rage out of it both of you did and I do you remember what it was like were there moments on that movie I, I know you said you were scared but were there moments on that movie where you felt like okay this is what liftoff could feel like particularly in those scenes with John who you know somebody I love with all my heart
1: John The, the, what I remember about that too, but about, but about that mostly was, um, uh, was John was the, and I never expected this. John was the only, was the person I was comfortable around. We actually became friends and hung out and went out to eat and, and, and drink. And I think, you know, probably that a large piece of that was that I was, I was such a fan and, and I wanted to get to know him, um, but I also think it was just easy. We spoke a similar kind of, we had a similar kind of uh, annoying cynicism, like like whiny cynicism that I we both found funny. <laughs> um, that we both like complaining, and we both like um, we both think complaining is funny, and other people get insulted by it, but we we think it's funny to complain, and so we be kind of we we sort of became friends, and I kind of. <laughs> I relied on him and I, I, I just, uh, I was, uh, I was, I was trying to learn from him. I was trying to follow his leads in those scenes. And, uh, like a lot of times in the beginning of when I was working, I got to work with these incredible people and, and we're like relinquishing and going, oh, great. Here's somebody you can just, what's he want to do? You know? And yeah, he's a scenes That's what makes him great, but embrace it, get into it. What's he want to do? How do you, what's your part in it? you know, or if you're like, ah, I want to keep my bit. I'm not going to this guy. And you're not going to learn anything. But for me, it was like, all right, let me in. I want to
0: know it's worth a movie. If people haven't seen it, honestly, I, for all the like, whatever flaw things, but it, that movie is wonderful. And I, I also wondered, uh, if playing Wells was a heavy thing in some way for you, meaning did, did you find resonances in playing that character that have stayed with you, uh, or were you able to just leave it? Uh, no, afterwards? I was
1: really, really scared. Peter Bogdanovich was a friend. My mom was a huge fan of Wells. My whole family, like you know, it was the first movies I ever saw were his movies. And and you know, the the idea having come off of the Shakespeare stuff and the New York Times comparing me to him and all this other stuff, I was really scared that this was now everyone was going to see what a bullshit artist I was. That, you know. <laughs> You know, yeah gonna, now they'll you know, see I'm, I'm i'm no good yeah they're gonna put me in a, in wells costume and they're going to realize how well, the, the comparison is not going to be flattering um uh so i was super super scared um but what what did stick with me was um uh what what oh god what's the photographer's name um he was a very good friend of Orson. And I did a photo shoot with him for Henry V. Um, very, very famous. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Don't worry um, about it.
0: I'm not like Avedon or somebody yes, like that. Yes, Avedon. Thank you. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I do this photo shoot for Henry V with Avedon. And Avedon had liked uh, Wow. RKO 281. And he said, I want to give you something. And I said, what is it? And he he, said, he wanted to give me the napkin that Orson Welles had doodled on with um a picture of, um, Oh God, my brain, uh, the, who we loved so much, Lana, uh, the, the actress,
0: uh,
1: I'm sorry, my brain is gone. It's,
0: it's all right, But he, he gave you this, he gave he wanted this to give doodle, you this thing, uh, this very childish doodle, of not and, Lana Turner or somebody else. Some, no, not her. Somebody, somebody like that. I can't remember. I'll
1: remember. I don't I feel like such a knucklehead, but you'll remember this. Is, I, I had to research all this stuff. So I used to know it, but, um, yeah. He's, he was obsessed with her. And for this incredibly powerful guy, he was a wildly vulnerable person, uh, self-conscious person, desperately in need of affirmation and love, both from his parents and particularly from women, and really, really suffered and struggled with that in a way that was profoundly painful for me to look at and think about. And this story wasn't really quite all about that. But that part of him always touched me and stayed with me. That part of the artist's personality that certainly at the beginning is so, wants so much, wants needs that affirmation, needs that appreciation, needs that love, and hopefully as they mature, learns to give it and, and re- resonate it. Um, but that was the thing that was Orson awesome for me was this like big bleeding heart of a character, which was so contradictory to everything you thought about him like smart guy who yells a lot and pissed off about frozen peas, but the reality is it's a guy who's desperate to prove himself in an, in an, in a world of impossible um, challenges.
0: No, that's all there in the performance too, man. You got all that in there somehow. Uh, we're we're getting to the end of the hour, so I I I, I there's so much more. But um, you know what I want to I want to ask you this two things. One, meditation. Uh, these maybe are related questions, and we can end up here. One, what do you do to check in with yourself now? Like, is it meditation? Is it journaling? Is it drawing? And then I would say, my question is that, and then through whatever it is that you do to check in with yourself, how do you look at what your ambitions are from here forward? Are they mostly artistic ambitions? Are they like, how do you, you know, cause you're at this point, you finished this incredible thing, you came out of it like, you know, you're somebody who can kind of, like none of us in Hollywood uh, can do whatever we want, but you know, you can pretty much do what you want to do. One, how do you figure that out? What's your process now to look at yourself and figure it out? And two, where does it leave you? What are you what are you looking at going forward?
1: Um You know, I've got teenagers. I got a 13 year old and a 14 year old. And um that certainly is a way that I center myself. <laughs> yeah. Is I remember them and I remember to, you know, (laughs) they remind me of who I am and um, finding ways to be better at giving and listening and uh, supporting. Um, That's what I want to do. That's, um, I'm, that, that's, the pro, that's the trip I want to be on right now with them because I think it's a hard time to be a kid. It's a hard time yeah. to be a teenager. Um, and, 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 you know, when you've got two parents who are successful actors, uh, I, I can't imagine how hard that is or what the expectation is about attention, what the expectation is about social behavior. So I've been thinking about that a lot and and sort of and 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 just wanting to try really hard, particularly after losing my own father to, to just really be present for my uh for my kids um I'm addicted to this process I'm, i i i to to work with people, even to talk to people like you is something i can't resist i i just i want to do it all the time, and if I don't do it, I don't feel healthy, but I think it's important for me to also check in on that thing and just go, okay, slow now. It's not, you know, hang on a minute. Um, so I think I'm there right now. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in the, I'm, I'm in the middle. I mean, I'm in transition. I'm at a crossroads, which is kind of an exciting place to be.
0: It's a great place to be. Liev. Thanks. Uh, I really, really, I really hope that Dave and I get to find a way to do something with you. You know, we, uh, It's sort of when both of us, our shows were taking off. We had this breakfast, I think, and we were like, is there a thing? And it was like, well, yeah, but you got your show and we got ours. So sadly, but um, man, it would be a, it'd be a thrill to find something to to do together. And and whether that happens or not, just what a privilege to get to watch you do what you do. Likewise, Um, man. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Be well. Thanks.